This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Cyber Democracy. This podcast is in association with Internet Freedom Foundation. Check out their work on internetfreedom.in. Across India there are reports coming in about use of facial recognition systems to track people assembling to protest against the Citizenship Amendment Act. Indian Express has reported that Delhi police has acquired automated facial recognition system to find missing children because of an order by Delhi High Court. Other police departments like Hyderabad Chennai and Surat police have acquired facial recognition systems from different vendors. At the same time the National Crime Records Bureau has issued a tender to procure a national facial recognition system to be supplied to all police departments. This system will be part of crime and criminal tracking numbering system. Any facial recognition software reads the geometry of a face captured from a photo or video to create a unique code or face print. This is essentially a set of unique virtual points on your face. These points of geometry are computed using algorithms of image processing and algorithms of machine learning are used to train with these face prints to find similar data points from existing identity databases. These advantages in facial recognition technology were made over time with a push from image processing requirements of driverless cars to social media pushing it to automatically tag your friends in photos. Between 2014 and 18 facial recognition systems got 20 times better according to US National Institute of Standards and Technology To talk about these facial recognition systems we have with us Vidushi Mata a lawyer and program officer from Article 19 where she works on artificial intelligence systems and has been focusing on state use of facial recognition systems in our research She is also a non-resident research analyst at Carnegie India where her work focuses on facial recognition systems by police authorities in India. Welcome to Cyber Democracy Vidishi. Thanks for having me Shrinivas. Can you tell us more about the state of facial recognition in India from your experience? Sure. So over the last 2 to 3 years we've definitely seen a steady growth in the types and extent of facial recognition systems in use. we have retail organizations and retail uh, sector deployments such as you know chai shops uh, using facial recognition to be able to serve you quicker we also use facial recognition currently at airports in bangalore and hyderabad and in other airports as well where your face essentially becomes your boarding pass with the promise of you know quicker lines and a more hassle free experience at airports and i think the most urgent type of facial recognition use is that by the state particularly by law enforcement agencies around india so since 2018 the beginning of 2018 we've been seeing a lot of news reports about the use of facial recognition systems by police authorities um you know for example in chennai uh, they're using facial recognition to single out suspicious looking people in uh, crowded places the punjab artificial intelligence system has won several awards for smart policing most recently in july of 2019 we've seen that the indian government has envisioned this sort of pan national automated facial recognition system 
that you know, they claim will be used exclusively for criminal identification and verification across the country where different police stations will use this sort of technology to be able to catch quote-unquote criminals quicker. If you look at facial recognition fundamentally, it violates the fundamental right to privacy because by design there is no consent. You are being recorded by a video camera and it's being processed without your knowledge unless there is a warning sign which is saying facial recognition is being used when the camera is recording your face. So are they actually putting these signs? How are different implementations taking care of privacy and security in general? So before we get to the question of privacy, I think the question of legality is incredibly important because it isn't clear to anyone how the automated facial recognition system, the AFRS, has a legal basis because uh, to the best of our knowledge by work that the Internet Freedom Foundation carried out, uh, the government sees the legal basis of this facial recognition network in a cabinet note, which is not a legal document and thus cannot be the legal basis for such a system. Moreover, in 2017, when the Supreme Court reaffirmed um, the right to privacy in India, one of the main ideas laid down was that the right to privacy extends to public spaces. Now, the use of facial recognition as contemplated under the AFRS doesn't actually meet the standards laid down by the Supreme Court in, you know, firstly, respecting privacy in public spaces. Secondly, it doesn't look at the proportionality test that the Supreme Court laid down which is essentially a four-step test to say that if there is a fundamental right, such as the right to privacy, and if the state needs to infringe on that right, it needs to show that there is a legitimate state interest, that there is a rational nexus between the infringing act and the legitimate aim, that it's necessary and it's proportionate. With the AFRS, firstly, we don't understand what the legitimate aim is, because essentially what the system does is that it says, we will track people across the country to be able to identify criminals. But in order to identify criminals, in order to match people to the CCTNS, in order to match people to existing databases, it is a precondition to collect everyone's face to be able to sort of, you know, sort out the matches from the mismatches. The overarching reach of the AFRS is completely not justified by the state, which the Bombay High Court has recently said that the state needs to do. And at the same time, you know, just saying this area is under CCTV surveillance is really not enough because it doesn't capture the full essence of what facial recognition actually does. So since you mentioned it's not really a legal thing, as in it's not really legal as of now, but police seems to be the early adopter of the system. And why do you think so that is? Do the cops believe that the system's going to solve crime? How good does the facial recognition work? Can it always identify people? So there seems to be a logical leap between what sophisticated technologies such as machine learning systems can do and how they actually play out in reality. When early adopters of these technologies, particularly the police, use these systems, the assumption there is that these systems will help us solve crime quicker, they will be more efficient, um, they are less biased because, you know, they don't have the burden of human biases, which is not actually true. Um, research has shown that, firstly, facial recognition is almost like dangerously inaccurate. The Delhi police pilot showed that 
the facial recognition system that was used to find missing children had an accuracy rate of less than 1%, and it had trouble distinguishing between boys and girls. This is not just an, a problem that is uh, unique to India. You know, accuracy rates of facial recognition systems around the world is extremely low. A report by the Metropolitan Police in the UK found that the inaccuracy rate was 98%. Another report uh, from pilots in London found that facial recognition systems misidentified four in five people. The fact that there's an assumption about the efficiency of these systems tells us a lot about how the technical limitations of these systems isn't being thought about. It's not just that these systems are inaccurate full stop, it's that these are inaccurate for people who are already vulnerable because of certain characteristics, whether it's your ethnicity, whether it's your gender, whether it's your age. So for instance, one of the first research outputs that sort of told us about the accuracy rate of facial recognition systems came out of the MIT Media Lab. And what they found was that the accuracy rate of facial recognition systems is extremely high if you're a white male, but it's extremely low if you're a black male, it's extremely low and even lower, in fact, if you're a black female. The ACLU in California did a test where they sort of ran facial recognition system against the faces of senators and all the black senators were misidentified. This sort of leads us to a predicament where firstly, there's an assumption about accuracy, which is not true. Secondly, that assumption is even more harmful because it is particularly untrue for a set of vulnerable people. Now, what does that mean in a law enforcement context, right? What this essentially means is that it risks misidentifying people. So you have false positives where someone is wrongly identified by the system as a match, which could lead to harassment, which could lead to people being put on blacklists that we will never see. It could lead to people you know, being held for questioning without any legal basis. So I think the danger from these systems at this point in time is, is far greater than any positive outcome that we're going to get. So speaking about vulnerable people, the cops really intend to use it to catch people who are outliers in some ways from the society. With the ongoing protests in India, there are confirmed reports like the one which was pointed out by Indian Express where the Delhi police in particular, or police across the country, are using CCTV footage and facial recognition to find out who are the people who are protesting. Do you think this is an intimidation tactic? Or does this actually cause harm to people? It's a bit of both, I think, uh, because, you know, firstly, protesting is a right under our constitution, and there's nothing inherently wrong with protesting. In fact, the history of protest you know, has led to great things for India. And so keeping that in mind, I think the use of facial recognition, firstly, doesn't have a legitimate state aim, particularly in the case of peaceful protests. But what it does do is, firstly, it creates a chilling effect on peaceful protesters, like we saw in Hong Kong, where, you know, students were being surveilled uh, through facial recognition systems, and they physically had to bring them down in order to exercise some basic constitutional rights. What ends up happening is that people are wary of being seen. It's, you know, the classic panopticon case where you don't know who's watching you. So you behave and alter your behavior in a way that you think that particular entity will approve of. So it's definitely an intimidation tactic. It's a tactic that encourages the chilling of free speech. And secondly, you know, it can cause harm. And the fact that I say it can cause harm 
is problematic because we aren't sure as to what uses these are being put to now. You know, we have no access to databases that are being created. We have no access to the kinds of accuracy rates that the law enforcement authorities are told to, you know, move ahead with. We have no idea about why these certain lists are being made or what the criteria for these lists are. So I think the potential for harm is extremely, extremely high. But what we know for a fact is that it's definitely an intimidation tactic. It's definitely not in sync with how we read the right to privacy and freedom of expression under the Indian Constitution. While there are people who are afraid of it, who are really, really afraid and are trying to evade it, there are people who are very much interested in it in controlled environments, especially like airports where facial recognition is being used to allow them to go through the security checks, at least the first layer of security checks in easier way. What do you think about the pilots on Digiatra where they're using facial recognition? At the same time, I would like to make this point that I don't think there are first layer checks across other countries except in India. So, is it just like we have created a problem and we have created a solution to the problem as well? So the assumption is that when facial recognition systems are used in a controlled environment, they're less harmful than when they're used in um, a situation like law enforcement use. I think there's some truth to that, but I'm not fully convinced by it because especially in a country like India where data protection law and the right to privacy, you know, as we've discussed a little earlier also, is still systematically diluted. And especially when there are sweeping exceptions for state use of data of citizens, uh, for any number of things, including things like credit scoring, which isn't you know, exactly in the same category as, for example, national security or public order. I think we have to be really careful about how liberal we are with sharing our data, even in controlled environments. So for instance, when Digiatra is used in airports, you know, you're hassled and you're checking in and you're given this option of skipping a line and, you know, you're given the promise of no queues and getting to your gate quicker. And most people tend to take it because it seems innocuous. It isn't innocuous because there isn't enough clarity on, firstly, how that data is stored, who it's shared with, what level of monitoring occurs once you enter the airport and before you board your flight, right? Um, Is your data deleted by the time your flight lands to wherever you go? Or does that data sit in a particular database for 10 years? Does it sit there for six months? There isn't enough clarity on what the repercussions of sharing that particular type of data are. And given the fact that it's not a photograph, it's a biometric map of your face. Um, You know, if I would ask someone, would you give your password to the Airports Authority of India and just trust that they wouldn't use it because they only want to make sure that, you know, your life is easier. Um, I don't know if many people would consent to that. But essentially, facial recognition is the same thing. Your face is a password in many ways when it comes to especially legal repercussions about how you make your way through society and how the government sees you. And so I would caution against broad strokes, readings of law enforcement use versus control environment use, because I think the technology fundamentally, when you strip it down to essentials, is the same. And the underlying legal infrastructure that that ensures that that technology doesn't harm us is lacking. The data protection law is going to control it to some extent. But with the exemptions for the government, do you think this technology became universal? And even the data protection law allows certain entities to use it with consent. 
so there are tea shops which are trying to use it to sell tea better but i guess this is a peak form of capitalism where there is nothing data has got to do with tea i really do not understand the business mechanics of installing facial recognition to sell tea especially when there is so many privacy risks okay so given the fact that the government has sweeping powers under the data protection law or the data protection bill that will soon become law it lends you know a certain level of skepticism when it comes to even controlled environments because essentially what is happening is that we're giving away data to entities that could be compelled to share it with the government uh, you know especially in the case of digiata for instance the airports authority of india does form a part of the state and sort of having clarity on the fact that just because it's a private company doesn't mean that our consent is is very relevant is i think important secondly you know the global conversation around consent is still trying to find ways to move beyond boilerplate examples of getting consent where you know we click a box that says yes i agree but we never actually read what the privacy policy of a particular service says i don't think that you know this technology should be thought of as universal already because the legal basis on which our rights are safeguarded is extremely shaky and it's still evolving as to your question about why facial recognition is being used to sell tea i have no idea my hunch is that it's just looked at as something fashionable when you you know deploy cutting edge technology and you promise people efficiency and saving time and you know less hassles and you don't have to reach for your wallet and things like that um i do think that there's that's a very short sighted view that there's no foresight in thinking about how you're going to manage that data you know the cost of being responsible with other people's data the cost of not being responsible you know or not having the competency to safeguard other people's data i don't think is being thought of meaningfully at all again it's like you put a peak capitalism i think that's an interesting way of looking at it and and i think you're you're quite right in saying that it's just using technology for the sake of it without any actual justification for it especially when we think of the privacy cost so the way i also see it is they're collecting more and more data to improve their facial recognition systems at the same time if you look at the origins of implementation in the country the reason police department started buying this technology is essentially because of a lot of court cases asking the government to do something about missing children and even if you look at the indian express report it actually says that the delhi police spotted to find missing children now there are calls to stop facial recognition in children right i mean in general if you have to find one missing children you are essentially trying to find every children on the street and technically you are not taking the consent of the guardian so it violates the very fundamental provision of privacy for the children under the draft bill so is it justifiable that to find few children i'm not denying that it's a problem but to find these people do you have to subject all the billion people in the country for facial recognition yeah i've been spending some time looking at the orders that came from the delhi high court that directed the use of facial recognition to find missing children and um all of those orders are very very focused on just solving a problem that law enforcement was having trouble with 
So, you know, even when the Delhi High Court said that this is unacceptable, that your facial recognition system has only an accuracy rate of 1% and you need to upgrade it, the assumption there, again, um, as we discussed a little earlier, was that using facial recognition is an efficient solution to a social, legal, law enforcement problem. The issue is that the mission creep is so huge that the Delhi police was directed for a very specific use case to procure a certain type of technology. And it's being used, you know, as we saw yesterday in the Union Express, for a completely different type of use case. And I think the, the issue there is that it's not really engaging with the limitations of these technologies. So when we have bans of facial recognition, you know, around the world, a lot of cities in California have already banned law enforcement use of facial recognition. What they found was that the cost of using facial recognition far outweighed any benefit that we'll get from it. So the, the rhetoric is, do you not want to find missing children? And how can you, you know, be such a Luddite and sort of discourage the use of technology that can do good? Um, there was a, you know, a report that said 3,000 missing children were found using facial recognition in Delhi. And so when we think about that number, 3,000 children, I think firstly we need to understand what was the impact of those 3,000 children. So were they identified specifically and reunited with their families? Were they just identified as possible children? who should be reunited with families. I've read a lot of reports because nothing is available in public domain except for newspaper reports at this point, that the children are still, you know, trying to be matched to the families that they came from, that the system couldn't even distinguish between boys and girls, that the accuracy rate that the authorities were okay with going ahead was extremely low. So when we look at the benefit of using these systems, I think we have to question what the benefit truly is. Because if the benefit is that it could identify that 3,000 children were in a particular place and likely to be the missing children that were supposed to be found, that is, I think, not, that is not what we have in mind when we say facial recognition will be used to find children. And I think the justification, again, you know, needs to come from a place of engaging with the legal reality of it. The second thing is, you know, we don't have a clear understanding on how to regulate the use of these technologies. It's an extremely slippery slope. You know, it's missing children today, peaceful protesters tomorrow, and God knows what will be the day after. Also having clear legal safeguards, clear impact assessments, clear accountability mechanisms is a prerequisite before even a pilot takes place, in my opinion. But that is not the case currently. What we're seeing is sort of like, you know, freehand using these systems just to see how they work. but the human cost and the, the cost of data and personal data, sensitive personal data for these pilots to occur is extremely high. And I think it's a problematic outlook to the use of these technologies. Since the police departments are using this without actually bringing any law as required by the Supreme Court judgment on right to privacy, do you think that people should stop cooperating in general with this until such a law is in place? Or rather, how should they protect themselves against facial recognition, especially when there is no consent? Do they use a mask? How do people should do it? In an ideal world, we shouldn't have to wear a mask to exercise our rights. But, you know, having given that caveat, I think there are ways you can fool facial recognition algorithms. You know, while a lot of people think that wearing scarves and wearing disguises can help, actually research has shown that some types of facial recognition systems can actually identify you even with all of that. I know one of the most effective ways to fool a facial recognition algorithm is to wear two eyes on your forehead. But, you know, and there, there are different types of makeup that you can do to change the contours of your face. 
I think the, the overarching problem though is no matter how many eyes we wear on our foreheads and no matter how many scarves and hats we wear, is that once facial recognition is put in use, it's impossible to sort of avoid it because it affects every single person who has ever walked on a road, right? Um, especially in the case of the AFRS and the way in which data collection is envisioned, it's essentially anyone who's ever given a photograph of themselves to the government. Any person who's ever uh, sort of interacted with the government in any form, has an ID of any type, has walked in a place that has a CCTV camera, are all affected by it. So one of the most worrying things about facial recognition is that there's no switch we can just turn off. And I think that also lends a lot of weight to the argument that we need to be deliberate about how we use these technologies and not sort of experimentally. Thank you for listening to the episode of Cyber Democracy. You can listen to this podcast on sonoindia.in or any other podcast app of your choice. As independent producers, we rely on you, our listeners, to support us. So please visit the support page on our website, sonoindia.in, and contribute generously.